الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والنجم اذا هوى ما ضل صاحبكم وما غوى وما ينطق عن الهوى ان هو الا وحي يوحى علمه شديد القوى ذو مره فاستوى وهو بالافق الاعلى ثم دنا فتدلى فكان خاب قوسين وادنا فأوحى إلى عبده ما أوحى ما كذب الفؤاد ما رأى أفتمارونه على ما يرى ولقد رآه نزلة أخرى عند سدرة المنتهى عندها جنة المأوى إذ يغشى السدرة ما يغشى ما زاغ البصر وما طغى لقد رآ من آيات ربه الكبرى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows his rahmah to his creation and he shows his special rahmah to his special creation. So since the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the most special creation Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show his most special creation the most special rahmah you are uh, rewarded and treated according to your ranks um, somebody who's close to you you treat them with more honor and more dignity and someone who's not too close to you you treat them with honor and dignity but it's not the same as someone who's close to you so the story of Isra and Mi'raj is twofold one is the story of the Isra which happened from the Masjid Haram to the Masjid Aqsa from Makkah to Jerusalem. That story is mentioned in the Surah, Surah Bani Israel, in the ayah which starts with Subhanallah Asra. That's the first part of the story. That is called the Isra, the night journey. Because it happened at night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the Prophet with his physical body in a few moments of the night. So that's called the Isra. The second part of the journey is the Miraj. The Miraj occurred from Bayt al Maqdis to the seven heavens and beyond, and then the return journey to Makkah. That's the Miraj. So we combine them together and we say Isra wal Mi'raj. Isra and Mi'raj. But the two journeys are different. One is that the Isra happened at night and in time. 
the mirage did not happen in time. It was above time. Right? Meaning there's no element of time there in the mirage story. Although it's physical. In the story of Isra, there are signs that Allah wanted to show the Prophet And in the story of Mi'raj, the Prophet himself saw the signs. So in the Isra story, Allah showed the Rasul his signs. لِنُرِيَهُ مِنْ آيَاتِنَا Allah says about the Isra so that we may show him some of our signs and in the Miraj story the Rasul himself with his own eyes saw the signs as I mentioned or recited just now لَقَدْ رَآ مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى that indeed he saw, meaning the Prophet ﷺ saw many of his great signs. So this is the favor and the reward and the most special rahmah Allah wanted to give the Prophet ﷺ. And what is that? That is ilm. How does Allah favor a Nabi? He favors him with ilm, not with the dunya. Hmm. Allah's fadl, Allah's fadl here. min rabbi, and everybody's house, mashallah. Hada min rabbi. This is from Allah's fadl, which it is, there's no doubt. But that is not the fadl Allah shows to a Nabi. Allah doesn't show his fadl of the dunya to a Nabi. Why? Because that's not the Nabi's concern. He's not interested. In what? In the dunya. The ummah is interested in the dunya. But the Nabi? He's not interested in the dunya. So Allah doesn't show him the dunya in the night of Isra and in the story of the Miraj. He shows him something else, which is something that human beings cannot perceive, nor receive, nor achieve. The dunya we can achieve. Is that right? Some people can become billionaires, but it's possible. Qarun has so much money that the keys to his treasures were lifted by strong people. The keys to his treasures. He has so much money, so much wealth. So the dunya is attainable. A human being may attain the dunya through hard work and luck and fate or whatever. But uh, ilm is something that Allah gives. That Allah gives. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show his Rasul a very special favor, a reward for his sabr. The 11, 12 years of consistent sabr in Makkah where he has been persecuted 
and tested and tried and the Prophet وسلم, uh, he was very patient. Uh, we won't go into that. But this came as a reward to the Prophet وسلم, for the sabr and the patience he endured in Mecca. And what was now the reward? The reward was ilm. The reward is what? Ilm, knowledge. This ummah is based on ilm, not on the dunya. Yeah, so nowadays, unfortunately, some people, they have the formula totally wrong. They all messed up. They want dunya, dunya, dunya. We must have power, we must have this, we must have that. What they don't understand is that in order for all that to work, you need ilm. So the Rasul was favored by Allah. First in Isra, in the night journey, where Allah showed him the signs. So that we can show him the signs. And he showed him many signs as uh, perhaps we have discussed before. But the greatest sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed the Prophet was the sign of the Anbiya meeting him. Where do the Anbiya live at this moment? Do they live in the dunya or do they live somewhere else? Where do they live? Huh? They live in the Barzakh, right? The Anbiya, they don't live here in this dunya. So, to bring 120,000 human beings back into the dunya so that they can receive and welcome the last Nabi, that is the greatest sign. You understand? Meaning transporting these human beings from that world into this world is a great sign of Allah's qudra, of Allah's power, of Allah's abilities. That Allah has the power and ability to bring those people back into this world in Masjid Al-Aqsa to receive and welcome and honor the Prophet Muhammad And then more than that, they wanted him to lead them in prayer, in salat, so, in the Isra journey, we have many signs, which I spoke about yesterday in ISNS. If you want to listen to that, you can listen to the recording. So, I'm not discussing that today. I'm discussing the Miraj part. Right. So, the Miraj part is mentioned in the Quran. Also, both journeys are mentioned, and both journeys are mentioned in separate surahs for many reasons. Anyway, this journey is mentioned in Surah Al-Najm, the Surah of the Star. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us through the Prophet in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala arranged a journey for the Prophet to go into the heavens. Into the heavens where the Prophet ﷺ traversed the heavens and beyond the stars. 
beyond the sun, the moon, and all the stars. He went beyond all of that, and as you know, he went through each heaven, one after another, and Jibreel escorted him. And then he was there to make sure that they followed all the rules and regulations of each heaven. Each heaven has its own order. Allah says, Allah revealed to each heaven its order, its amr. So this heaven, this sama, sama dunya, the heaven of the earth has its order. Where you have the solar system, the sun, the moon, the planets, and the stars, and so on. It has its order. The second heaven has its order. What is that? Well, we don't know. What is that order? Well, we don't know. Only Allah knows, and the Rasul knows, because he was there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to give the Rasul وسلم, knowledge. So he gave him knowledge of the Amr, the order of this heaven, and the order of all the other heavens, all of them. And then the Prophet said that each heaven is engulfed, engulfed, enclosed by the higher heaven. So the second heaven contains with it the first heaven. And then the third heaven contains within it both the first and the second and the fourth, and it's all the way to the kursi. And then he said that between each heaven there's a distance of 500 years. 500 what? Years of travel. Mm, for those of you who are, uh, mashallah scientists and interested in science and physics. You see now the wording of the Prophet where he uses the measurement of time to measure space. 500 years, which the Quran does. The Quran uses them. So in line with the Quran, the Prophet uses the same index of measurement that he measures space in time. And this only a Nabi does. Scientists do it now, after so many millenniums. But they did it before because they understood the Amr, they understood the command, and they understood the order of the heavens. So he said, in between each heaven, there's a space and distance of 500 years. So can you imagine how vast the heavens are? And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala arranged for Jibreel to escort the Prophet and show him all the commands and all the orders of each heaven, one after another. So in each heaven he met a Nabi. One Nabi, Adam, and then Isa, and then Yahya, uh, and then uh, Yusuf, and Harun, and Musa, and Ibrahim. In that order, all the way to the Kursi. Then he said about the kursi, that the kursi is so huge that all the seven heavens in front of the kursi is like a ring that is thrown into an empty desert. That's how big the kursi is. The Quran says, وَسِعَ كُرْسِيُهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ 
how vast the kursi is. The kursi is so vast that if you were to measure the kursi against the seven heavens, the seven heavens will be a ring and the kursi will be the empty desert. That's how huge the kursi is. Huge, huge, huge. Now you tell me there's no life in space. Huh? All of you addicts of science and physics, and you're asking the question, is there life outside of Earth? Well, Islamically, you'd be a moron if you said no. Well, because the Quran and Hadith both say there's much more than life outside of the Earth. There's ibadah outside of Earth. You know, all these uh, scientific... Uh, idiotic theories. Is there life on Mars? Is there life here? The Prophet already told us there's life, and there's much more than life. He said, I did not find an empty space in space where there was not an angel praying, making ruku, making sajda, making the dhikr of Allah. Now you tell me there's no life in space. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so these scientific theories, they don't add up to Islamic facts. Your aqidah comes first, scientific theories come way down there somewhere. Not even third, somewhere down there. Right? Yeah, so don't be uh, dazzled. And don't be mesmerized by science when they say that they found traces of water on Mars. Well, subhanAllah. What's the big deal? We have the jinn, and they travel the space in the first heaven. That's from the hadith. There is life there. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise due to Allah, who is Lord of all the worlds. So, in, in every world, there is an order, and for that order, there must be makhluk, there must be creation of Allah who organized the order. Don't you think that's life? Of course it's life. <laughs> but you don't think that way because you say, oh, Islam doesn't make any sense. And you say the Quran, Sunnah, and Hadith is redundant. It has no value in our lives today. That's the problem. But if you listen to Allah, where He is favoring, rewarding His Nabi by giving Him ilm, knowledge, this surah, Surah Al-Najm, talks about knowledge and differentiates between knowledge that is concrete and knowledge that is not concrete and speculative and a theory. Further on in the surah, Allah says, إِن يَتَّبِعُونَ إِلَّا الظَّنَّ وَإِنَّ الظَّنَّ لَا يُغْنِي مِنَ الْحَقِّ شَيْئًا فَعَارِضْ عَمَّنْ تَوَلَّى Meaning that there is a difference between concrete factual knowledge. There's nothing more concrete or factual than the knowledge that comes through wahi. As in the beginning of the surah I recited, He doesn't speak out of his whim and fancy his desire. He speaks because there's nothing except wahi. 
Who? The Prophet So when you understand that the most concrete knowledge that a human being can receive is through wahi. And who receives wahi? The Prophets. We don't receive wahi. So who should we follow in terms of knowledge? The Prophets. You don't follow those who are non-prophets merely because they speculate. And they say, maybe it's this way, and maybe it's that way, and maybe that way. Who cares? There's factual knowledge which is based on the Quran and Sunnah, and that is how we form our Aqeedah. So in Surah Al-Najm, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the story of Mi'raj because there's a message in the Mi'raj that if you want to attain knowledge, you must follow the Rasul in the intellectual discourse he came with, in the intellectual tradition he brought. In the conversations that we find, especially in hadith, about all the signs of Allah, everywhere in the universe, wherever there is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. So here we see that Muslims must appreciate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to favor the Prophet sallallahu so he increased him in ilm, in knowledge, not in the dunya. Because the dunya anyone can achieve, knowledge only Allah gives through wahi to his uh, special servants, and that is the prophets, and especially our Nabi Muhammad So the net and the sum of miraj is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increased the ability of the Prophet to learn. When you have an ability to learn, what is that? Human beings learn through their five senses. You learn through your eyes by seeing, you learn through your ears by hearing, you learn through your senses by tasting and touching and smelling and all. And then you learn by your mind, your thinking, and everything else that the mind and the brain brings to you. That's how you learn. But the third way of learning is wahi. Wahi is restricted to the prophets, the Anbiya والسلام, so they have an advantage over us, meaning their knowledge is much broader than our knowledge. They see what we don't see. So in the story of Isra and Mi'raj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increased the prophet's ability to learn more, to hear more and to see more. Right. We see from here to there. We have a peripheral vision. We can't see anything further than that. But through the Isra and Miraj stories, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increased the seeing of the Prophet. And later on in Medina, as he passes by a grave or two graves, he hears the punishment in the grave. Now, how does that happen? Because his hearing has been heightened. His ability to hear things beyond the dunya has been increased. That is knowledge. Allah increases ability to learn through hearing things that we don't hear. This is a ma'ajizah 
This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl on the Prophet How do you know somebody is being punished? He's in the other world. A Nabi knows because Allah favored him by increasing his ability to hear. And he told the Sahaba, this one's being punished for this and this one's being punished for that. That is how Allah increases the knowledge of a Nabi. At the time of Mi'raj, the Prophet said, I hear the writing of the pens in the Lawh Mahfuz, I can hear the writing. Hear the pens writing. Allah, Allah, First of all, you have to establish that there is a Lawh Mahfuz. Right? If you don't believe that, then you're doomed. You can't hear Lawh Mahfuz. Whatever that is, we won't get into that. But the Prophet said, I was able to hear the pens writing. Hearing the pens writing. He didn't see the pens writing. Why? Because he's a Nabi al Ummi. He didn't see the writing. He heard the pens write. Before the writing was written, before he saw it, he heard it. So now, who gives you that ability to hear? Allah. So Allah gave him the ability to hear the writings of the Lawh Mahfuz, everything that was going to happen in this world and afterwards. He heard all of that writing. This is now Allah's favor on the Prophet by giving him ilm, by increasing him in his knowledge. Then the Prophet now the ability to see everybody in the heavens. If, if we were on a night journey, right, and hypothetically, if we were to see Jibreel, we would die, right? We're not capable of seeing an angel. The ulama say, if you see an angel, that is the angel of death. <laughs> You're not able to withstand the power of an angel in this life. So if anyone claims, I saw an angel, he said, Baba, assalamu alaikum. <laughs> we'll do your janazah tomorrow. Oh. Then you imagine Jibreel. Jibreel salam, yeah, the Prophet saw him once or twice in the dunya and once here in Mi'raj. And he said, when I saw him the first time, his one wing, he has 600 wings. Who? Jibreel. You talk about a space shuttle. Ah, the flimsy thing that they fly out there into the space. One wing of Jibreel expanded throughout the horizon. One wing. And the Prophet said, when I saw the one wing first, I fainted. I collapsed. Right. So on the night of, on the story of Mi'raj, the Prophet was able to see with his physical eye all 600 wings of Jibreel. All 600 wings. And on every wing there is knowledge. Imam Ghazali says, 
that the knowledge of angels is on their wings. Oh. <laughs> no? Where's the proof? We'll give you proof, don't worry. The fact that Imam Ghazali said it is proof enough right? for most of us. Alhamdulillah, Fatri Samawati will order Jailil Malaikati Rusulan Uli Ajnihatim Mathna Wathulatha Rubah. That's the proof. The angels Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send with messengers, messages, they have two or three or four wings. The wings carry the message. Right? Tonight, if you have 600 wings and one wing expands the whole horizon, subhanAllah, how much knowledge are you carrying? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Jibreel in this surah, Allamahu shadidul quwa, dhu mirratin. That the Rasul was taught by the one who has supreme strength. Can you imagine carrying 600 wings with you and then gliding with those wings in space? You know the amount of force and energy that you need in order just to launch a spacecraft or satellite. You need so much energy to launch one up there. So you can imagine the energy Jibreel has when he's launching himself with 600 wings from here to the Arsh. Allah says that the one who has immense strength taught the Rasul. And when somebody of strength teaches you, he gives you that strength. Right? He transfers the strength from you, uh, from him to you. So the, 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 the cleansing of the heart uh, of the Prophet Sallallahu in, in uh, Makkah and with Zamzam and that surgery, that is all to uh, prepare the Prophet Sallallahu for ilm, to prepare him psychologically and spiritually. And meeting all the Anbiya, that was also to prepare him for this journey. That now you're going to go into the heavens and you're going to be seeing so many things. So you need to go with the power of all the Anbiya to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala arranges for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to increase his knowledge. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet immense knowledge in Miraj, which is mentioned in hadith later on in Medina. There are so many hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said, I saw the night I was taken. I saw this and I saw that. So he saw things in Jannah and people in Jannah, and he saw things in Jahannam and people in Jahannam, and he described them. This is knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet so that he can dispense this knowledge and he can promote this knowledge and he can teach this knowledge. In general, what we must appreciate is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he wants to show his fadl, then he shows his fadl according to the rank of the person. And the rank of the Nabi is the highest and the rank of our Nabi is the highest of all. So he gave the Rasul immense knowledge 
on this journey, both on the Isra journey leg and also in the Miraj leg, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favored him. And then he says, فَأَوْحَى إِلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ مَا أَوْحَى He revealed to him whatever he revealed. We, only, we don't know. Only Allah knows, only the Rasul knows. He revealed to his servant this issue uh, is very important for us to appreciate in terms of aqeedah. What is that? And that is that the Rasul went physically and not spiritually. Right? The Isra journey definitely is physical. Nobody has any doubts of that. The Mirad journey, one or two people might say it is spiritual. We say if it's spiritual, then that will be a dream. And he wasn't talking about a dream. There were other occasions when he was taken in a dream into the heavens, but then he made that explicit that this was a dream. You understand? There were occasions in Medina when the Prophet had dreams that he went and he saw this and he saw this and Allah said this and Allah said this. But there are dreams. Even though the dream of a Nabi is wahi, it is not what we are saying here. On this journey, the night of Isra and Miraj, after that, the Miraj journey was physical. Here Allah says, فَأَوْحَى إِلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ مَوْحَى The word Abd refers to the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the servant is the physical body. The servant is what? The physical body. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, مَا زَاغَ الْبَصَرُ the basar, the eyesight, was not misguided. It was not distracted. It did not become crooked. That you have these side attractions when you're traveling on the road, on the highway, you see these very beautiful sceneries and sights on the side, and you're, you're distracted. You're looking there, which is fine. On the night of Miraj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had so many other side attractions, but Allah says, Ma al Basar. The Prophet eyesight was not misguided, nor was it distracted. It was straight. You understand what I'm saying? No? When you're traveling and you see a gigantic mountain on the side, you're going to see it. SubhanAllah. You're going to turn your head and you're going to look at it. On this journey, the Prophet ﷺ was not distracted even for a second. He was so focused. And then, he says that, I went there to the um, uh, Sidratul Muntaha. And by the Sidratul Muntaha, which is on the other side of Jannah, I saw colors that I cannot even describe. Allah wanted him to see colors. Right? Those of you who know how to do some color coordination, you have to wait for Jannah because you'll find colors that don't exist in this dunya over there. So if you're what you call interior designer, yeah, you can't beat Jannah. Uh, this dunya is limited. So the Prophet says, I saw colors 
that don't, I don't know the names of those colors, subhanAllah. But that was not a distraction. That is what Allah wanted him to see. He was focused. So on this journey, he was totally focused, engrossed with what Allah wanted him to say and do and how to behave. The word basar in Arabic refers only to the physical eyesight. Not to the intellectual or spiritual because there's another word for it. Right? What's that? Basira. That word is Basira. Qul hadhihi sabili ad'u ila Allah ala basiratin ana wa man ittaba'ani. Say, this is my path, the path I walk on, and those who are with me, they work on this path. Ala basiratin, with insight, with understanding. That's basira. Basira is internal. Your intellectual insight and your spiritual insight. That's called basira. What is basar? Basar is your physical sight. So when Allah says, Ma'zaq al-Basar, that the Basar, the Prophet physical sight was not crooked, was not diverted or distracted. It means that Allah subhanahu took him with his physical body and watched the mu'jizah there. The first mu'jizah is to allow the Prophet to travel with such great speed from Masjid al-Haram to Masjid al-Aqsa, which took a few moments. That's the mu'jizah, right? If you travel on the plane 600 miles an hour, you're tired. Aren't you tired? And that's only because the cabin pressure allows you to be there. If you don't have cabin pressure, you die. Can you imagine the speed that the Buraq went on from Masjid Haram to Masjid Aqsa that it took less than a few seconds? So that mu'jizah is the first mu'jizah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prepared the body of the Prophet that it could withstand the speed. And then understand and appreciate the speed with which Jibreel took him to the heavens. You can't imagine that speed. Right? And then for the Prophet's body to withstand that speed and pressure is a greater mojiza. Right? When you have Mashallah satellites or the spaceships coming back into Earth. What happens to the spaceship? Does it burn? Sure it does. <laughs> it has to jettison so many parts of it in order to land. Why? Because the pressure of coming back into Earth is so huge. It's destructive. You can't sustain that kind of pressure and still be alive. That's why the astronauts have to go through training and training and training and training. And the cabin pressure has to be created. Here, without any cabin pressure, without any oxygen, Allah is taking His Rasul وسلم, all the way to beyond the seven heavens, the Kursi and the Arsh and the Jannah and Jahannam, with His physical body. And the body doesn't sustain any harm, any injury. In fact, it gains strength. Huh? It gains strength. 
This is the mu'jiza of the Prophet ﷺ, of Allah subhanahu wa showing him this is how we favor the Rasul. So we favor the Rasul by first and foremost enhancing his ability to learn. So his hearing was now heightened, as I mentioned. His seeing was heightened, as I mentioned. And his knowledge was increased, as I mentioned, with all the stories of, the, of Jannah and Jahannam and all the conversations he had with all the prophets in all the heavens and all the other uh, issues that we have in Miraj uh, that we see. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favored this Nabi by giving him ilm. So now, how does that translate into the Ummah? Oh. A Nabi must reveal everything he sees or hears. Right? Who is a Nabi? A Nabi is someone who receives Wahi and he is ordered to reveal. Wahi means revelation, right? He's ordered to reveal what he sees and what he hears, what he knows. He cannot conceal that. Mm. A Nabi doesn't conceal anything. He doesn't hide anything. We don't believe in that hiding business. No. Nabi, a Nabi doesn't hide. He brings everything out into the open. Sometimes to one person, sometimes to three people, sometimes to five, sometimes, sometimes to the whole ummah. But he doesn't conceal anything. He reveals everything he knows and learns from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's his mission. On the time of Hajjat al-Wida, the Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba, Have I not conveyed? And they all said, yes. So he conveyed whatever was to be conveyed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now in this Ummah, the Prophet ﷺ, when he came back to Mecca, he started to now convey whatever he saw and heard to the Quraysh. It didn't matter to him that they were non-Muslim. And he probably knew that they would reject him. And he probably knew that they would ridicule him. And he probably knew that they would mock him and jeer at him and do everything. But that's not the point. The point is the Nabi must expose what he knows. So he comes back to the Haram or goes to the Haram the next morning, and he sees these people, the Quraysh, and all these eh, non-Muslims, the Mushrikun, and he tells them this is what happened. And obviously they laugh at him. Right? But that's not the, the point is, a Nabi must expose everything he learns, and everything he knows. So now they rejected him, but Abu Bakr believed in him. And he became the Siddiq, as you know the story. Later on in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ now created a group of people who now took that knowledge from him. And who are they? The Sahaba. So who are the Sahaba? The Sahaba are the students of the Prophet ﷺ. And what did they learn? They learned Wahi. They learned everything the Prophet ﷺ taught them based on wahi. They learned from the Prophet ﷺ the Qur'an and other forms of wahi. This is the Sahaba. So when the Sahaba are learning and they're the first recipients of the Prophet's knowledge, then they are the best of the Ummah. 
They are the best of the Ummah. So the Rasul came back and in the next 11 years or so, he then distributed all the knowledge he received in Isra and Miraj to all the Sahaba collectively and individually and in groups and so on. And then they went about and they distributed the knowledge. So this Ummah, uh, its purpose and function is primarily knowledge. Is what? Knowledge. Some of you may not like this. Huh? <laughs> the primary function of this Ummah is to follow the Nabi. And what's the primary function of the Nabi? Knowledge. So that's what the Sahaba did. They focused on knowledge, learning the deen from the Prophet ﷺ, teaching it to themselves and to other people, and then distributing the knowledge to other people until it came to us today. Now, what happened? In history, what happened? What happened in history is that the Prophet Sallallahu's knowledge was then recorded, documented, and written. And it was written so much that we had hundreds if not thousands of libraries in the Muslim Ummah where we had thousands of books on knowledge that came from the Prophet you understand what I'm saying? I was in Medina recently. In Medina, there is a <clears throat> very small office in the Haram, right at the back of the Haram, where if you go there, uh, you will see that there is uh, a, some kind of museum almost, where they have handwritten copies of books of the past. They're handwritten. They were. In that library, there's a whole bookshelf, a whole row of books in which they have indexed all the manuscripts. I'm not talking about the books. I'm talking about the indexing of the books. You understand indexing? that you're recording one book here. So they have recorded all the books, and those indexes, they cover the whole wall. And there are five shelves. Can you imagine how many books there are? You understand what I'm saying? No? You must appreciate the knowledge that came from the Sadr, of the Rasul was transmitted this way first through the oral tradition and then through the written tradition where today if you want any subject on any Islamic issue you will find not one book or five books or hundreds of books you will find thousands of books on that subject and almost in every language so what is this? this is the mu'jiza of who? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam That we leave behind inheritance in terms of knowledge. So the Ummah inherited, the Sahaba inherited all the knowledge of the Rasul and they passed on all the knowledge to the Tabin until it came here today where today uh, you find that there are just so many authentic books 
I don't mean books on Islam written by non-Muslims. And the time I'm saying, they're not books. They're bakwas. I excuse the phrase, but they're totally ridiculous. They're rubbish. If you don't read them, inshallah, you'll answer the three grave, three questions in your grave. So don't be mesmerized by what non-Muslims write about Islam. What you need to do is learn what Muslims say about Islam. And what do Muslims say about Islam? They're in the books. Read them. Learn how to read them and learn your deen. Because this is the waratha, this is the inheritance of the Prophet Muhammad which has come down to us and is being preserved now in these books so where you find manuscripts after manuscripts and so on in the time of in the, when the, 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 the uh, Baghdad was ransacked huh? by the Tatars. You know, Baghdad was ransacked. The center of Muslim civilization and learning was taken over by these hordes of uncivilized people, the Mongols. And they came and just, you know, atrociously uh, tore down Baghdad piece by piece. And Baghdad had thousands and thousands of books in their libraries. And they took all the books and they threw all the books into the river. Right? Can you imagine how many books we lost? But I'm saying to you, my dear brothers and sisters, that didn't stop the Ummah. What did they do? They wrote more books. You understand what I'm saying? They wrote more books. Why? Because they know how to preserve the deen. Yeah. So now this ilm, this knowledge, which is based on certainty, as I mentioned in Surah Najm, the discussion is about knowledge. Knowledge has to be certain. It has to be based on either concrete evidence or wahi, and wahi is stronger than that. So now we see that the Sahaba learned their deen from the Prophet based on wahi. They transmitted that knowledge until all the knowledge now came to us. And this is how we see the ilm that the Rasul was favored with on the night of Isra and Miraj. We are now the heirs and successors to that story. When? When we learn. If you want to inherit from the Isra and Miraj stories, you must learn. You must seek knowledge. If you don't, then you can pray. Five times a day, that's fold anyway. People say, Miraj, Namaz ki baat kare. What the Miraj? Namaz to farzim, ya. That goes without saying. You have to do your salat in just, just to be a Muslim. That is the basic foundation for your deen, your salat, imad al-deen. And that is the gift Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the ummah on the night of Miraj. He gave the ummah salat five times a day. You all know that story. That's why I'm not mentioning it. What I'm mentioning is something else beyond Salat, that with Salat you have a whole civilization of knowledge. And we excelled in the Ummah, and we excelled in the world because of our knowledge. The boom that we were able to experience in two centuries, Alhamdulillah, mashallah, no human society has ever experienced that boom of knowledge.
No. Why? Because this Ummah and this Nabi is now primarily focused on ilm. My Lord increase me in knowledge. And that is the message of Isra and Miraj. So that we may show him our signs. And that indeed he saw with his own eyes Allah's greatest signs which he reported and which he shared with us, the whole Ummah, so we can also be part of that experience of the Isra and Miraj. So the message, my dear brothers and sisters, is that Miraj has many miracles and signs. I illustrated a few of them, but the greatest miracle is Ilm. The greatest sign is Ilm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives ilm. Ilm has to be certain. It cannot be speculative. It cannot be a theory. That is what we call ilm in Islam. If somebody says, I think this is what it is, I think it doesn't count. It's either factual or non-factual. Allah exists. Is this a theory or a fact? People say Allah doesn't exist. But you know is a fact. So it doesn't matter how many people speculate about Allah's existence. You as a Muslim, you know with certainty that Allah exists. Is the Rasul the last Nabi or not? Is that a theory or a fact? Is a fact. Knowledge has to be factual. That Jannah is true. Is that a fact or a theory? Is a fact. If you say it's a theory, then you're not a Muslim. So in our theory, we believe Jannah is true. No, it's not a theory. It is a khidah. Jahannam is true. That's a fact. So anything that the Rasul came to distribute the whole ummah is a fact. Salat five times a day is fard. Is this a theory or a fact? This is a fact. Pork is haram. Is this a theory or a fact? It's a fact. You understand? So, ilm has to be yaqini. Ilm has to be real and true and factual. Anything less than that, we don't consider to be ilm. It may be dhan, speculation, a theory, whatever. But the truth is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us all these facts in the Quran, in the Sunnah, that we must learn first before we go out and start preaching Islam. Islam is about facts. It's not about a theory. You can have a discussion on a theory which is not factual and that is fine. The ulama do it all the time. So we're not saying that. We're saying that when you're spreading Islam, the Islam that you spread must be factual, must be absolute and must be true so that you tell a non-Muslim, this is who we are, what we are. We pray five times a day. Not because it's a theory, but because it's a reality. We go for Hajj because it's a reality. We stay away from pork and alcohol because it's a reality. That is what, who we are and this is what defines us. So when you learn Islam in order to promote and propagate, you must le learn factual Islam. Not speculative Islam. Non-Muslims, when they write, they only write on speculation and theory. They can't write on fact because they don't believe it. You understand what I'm saying? 
They don't believe it. So we must be careful where we get our knowledge from. Our knowledge comes from wahi of the Prophet And his greatest journey of knowledge is the journey of Isra and Miraj. And he came back down, and as I say in Medina, he spread the word of Islam, whatever he received from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this Allah's favor on a Nabi, that he favors a Nabi according to his rank, and the highest rank is that of ilm. Allah subhanahu wa the ranks of those of you who believe and those who have been given knowledge into many, many great ranks. So knowledge has ranks. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored the Prophet with ilm. He favored the Sahaba with ilm. And he favored the rest of the Ummah with ilm. And we should be part of that tradition that we continue learning and learning and learning so that we inherit from the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa what he came to distribute. And with this we make dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us and preserve us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from the Isra and Miraj stories. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to act upon what needs to be acted upon. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, make us constant, consistent with our salat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our salat our Miraj. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us and preserve us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us and preserve us and keep us away from trouble. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us uh, from evil and from the people who want one to commit evil against us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect the ummah of Muhammad from sin, from calamities, from disasters, and from illnesses and diseases and from death. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept us all. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raise us on the day of judgment and allow us to meet him in such a state that he is pleased with us and we are pleased with him. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khilqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabi ajma'in. برحمتك يا رحمة الرحمين